Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Hello, everybody. So good to have you with us. Appreciate you tuning in and being a part of what we're doing and uh, a way of making your self pay, pay up on all that's going on in this industry. And boy, I tell you, there is a lot, lot going on. And I just want to give a real shout out. Oh, boy, before we do that, we should say it's Monday, May 23rd. It is, we always say that because many of you listen on a downloaded basis, and we are having um, an increasing size of our audience just continues to grow nicely. Uh, so good to have all of you with us, and I want to give a special shout-out to Alice, who did an outstanding job of hosting the program last week. As you may recall, I was on the Fox being interviewed by Neil Cavuto. We're talking about real estate values, why they're falling in, on the upper end of the market in, um, in New York City, and fascinating discussion, which is really a great segue into what we have as our Hot Topic segment today. So excited to have Alan Weiss with us, who is uh, was a part of and the CEO of the Case Schiller uh, Index, and was led that. And so uh, it was Case Schiller Weiss, and um, he is has a new innovative product about how where property values are, where they're going. It, it is. I had a conversation with him last night. I am so excited. People say, yeah, Dave, you're excited about every program. Well, this one, there is some innovation that you're going to hear about today that I have never seen anywhere. So very excited to have you all with us. Again, this broadcast is podcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. And we are certainly pleased that we received the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. So thank you, Tony Garitano and group, for that. Again, we appreciate you being here with us. I want a special thank you goes out to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the new innovation, innovative RateStar program software. Really good. We'll hear more about that later. Motivity Solutions with their leading business intelligence technology, providing real-time and reporting dashboards and scorecards. God, you'll hear more about the KPI of the week here in the shortly. Velma, the virtual electronic marketing assistant, can help you build stronger and more profitable relationships through their Set It and Forget It campaigns. Or you can do what I do and do it on the fly constantly. Get a hold of Velma at Velma.com or call Brent Emler at 208-854-7909. Simplifile, which helps you collaborate with settlement agents in a real-time chatting man- format, does a great job of keeping you in touch with what's happening in a real-time back-and-forth electronic communications way. With this world, with all the challenges going on with still, I'm hearing about it, with RID and some that are struggling with it, um, this is a great tool. Check it out at Simplifile.com or call Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. D&H is a new tech, a new sponsor. Thrilled to have them here forward. Uh, they, they, they have some of the technology that is leading in the industry they have been around i didn't realize for 140 years they've employed over 5500 people and they support 8000 clients in 70 countries a dnh mortgage bot all in one los so tool is something i encourage you to check out if you're looking at a new los system um, full mortgage banking system check it out at www.mortgagebot.com or call them at 1-800-815-5592 of course the mortgage collaborative part of something we're part of very excited about that what they're doing you know as they say it's not what you know well it is important you know have to, you need to know what you need to know but it's really as important sometimes to know who you know it's who you know that's as important as what you know so check out the mortgage collaborative.com and or get a hold of rich zerbinski at 440-552 0691, the power of the network, the Mortgage Collaborative. So good to have you with us, everybody. Special thank you to Alice again for hosting the program last week. To Andy, who's not with us today. He's in Seattle. Joe and Paul and uh, Sam. So lots of uh, exciting content we're going to get into. Upcoming conferences. We really are starting to get out of the conference season. We've got a few coming up, June first, uh, 5th through the 8th, the Chairman's Conference, the MBA's Chairman Conference. Check it out at the Palm, uh, it's at the Breakers in the Palm Beach. We also then have the New York State MBA Convention. I'll be speaking at that. Honored to do so again, June 10th in Albany, New York. Then we have the 44th uh, uh, annual 
secondary conference, Western Secondary Conference, put on by the CMBA, California Mortgage Bankers Conference uh, Association. They're in San Francisco in the Grand St. Francis Hotel. Love going to that conference. Check out all the conference at MBA Conferences and Education. And while there, check out Mortgage Action Alliance. Joe Farr, good to have you here with us. Uh, love what's going on. Love your website, Joe. You know when I'm traveling hey. as much as I do. I've got the mobile app going when I get to the office, and I click back and forth. Even when I'm in the mobile app, I'm chick- clicking over to the website. It is just so much good information in such a short spot. But well, good. give us an update on what is going on, my friend. Well, today, right now, prices are about where they ended the day on Friday. Uh, it's been a pretty quiet morning. Bouncing, the prices have bounced around uh, at this level and have been a little bit higher at times, but uh, you know, really a pretty quiet, uh, calm morning so far. Uh, there's no economic data uh, today. Uh, there have been a couple more Fed speakers, and, and the message they're delivering is very similar to the ones that were delivered last week and in the minutes. That is, uh, a June or July hike is on the table, and uh, it's going to be data-dependent. So uh, uh, no real surprises there. Over the weekend, uh, the G7 summit was held, and, and the consensus was that there's weakness in the global economic growth, but uh, didn't come up with any solutions for it, so uh, not much to report from that. So last week was not a good week for mortgage rates. Uh, MBS prices fell about 50 basis points. Uh, Mortgage rates fell about 7 or 8. And uh, most of the movement was due to the increasing expectations for for Fed funds rate hike. As I mentioned earlier, uh, early in the week last week, Fed governors and Fed officials had, had come out uh, with the notion that that June rate hikes were possible, uh, and that surprised the market. Uh, then, when the minutes came out, uh, they really uh, confirmed that the the Fed believes a June rate hike is possible, June or July. And uh, the reaction to that was not good for uh, mortgage rates, and, and mortgage rates increased. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, when most of that was was in the news, the uh, the the there are still a couple questions. You know, the, the all the Fed speakers have talked about it's possible based on incoming data. You know, and and if right. that incoming data supports uh, uh, continued economic growth, then the next question I think is. What's going to happen uh, in the Brexit vote? And will the Fed feel like they need to delay what they would do until the the, the vote for the U.K. to leave the EU uh, is behind? And uh, it's interesting, to, to, to if you look at the polls in Great Britain, uh, it's pretty, pretty close. It's about 47% yeah. to stay and 40% to leave. But then you look at the bookmakers, and it's interesting, you can bet on this, uh, you right. get it's six to one odds that uh, that they'll stay, and so you know really? a little more confidence when you're when you're betting with your money. I guess uh, uh, you feel a little more passionate about what uh, what you believe as opposed to just answering a poll question. Okay. So uh, yeah, the, so that'll be an interesting uh, aspect to the June meeting, and, and then the 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 vote is about a week after that June meeting. It's on the 23rd, so it's eight days after the June meeting. The economic data released last week was really mostly a little better than expected, and that, that too could have contributed to the uh, drop in MBS prices. Uh, especially the housing data was better than expected. Existing home sales rose from March, and they're 6% higher than last year. Housing starts, uh, just looking at the single-family housing starts, were up 3%. The overall was up even more than that. Uh, and both those were better than expected. Builder sentiment held steady, but it's at a pretty good level. Industrial production rose last week, uh, 7 tenths uh, for the month of April. And uh, that's the biggest increase in about 18 months. So that's pretty good data. Now, the, the one thing that, uh, and, the, you know, that data could have been uh, the data, some of the data the Fed uh, governors were speaking about as far as uh, if the economy continues. Uh, CPI data came out last last week, and, and April CPI data showed an increase in annual rate on the core of 2.1%. Now, that's down from March, which was 2.2, and down right. from February, which was 23 
And so, you know, the question is, do we have a trend there of, of declining inflation? And uh, uh, the the May inflation number is not going to be out by the time the Fed minutes or the Fed meets next uh, in two weeks. So we'll see. Actually, it's three weeks. So. Uh, it, you know, that's just something to, to throw in the hat there. It may be enough to delay what the Fed does. So this week, we have some more housing data. New home sales data comes out tomorrow, pending home sales on Thursday. Uh, then durable orders comes out on Thursday as well. Second look at first quarter G- GDP comes out on Friday along with consumer sentiment. We have some treasury auctions, more Fed speakers, and the market's going to close early on Friday for Memorial Day. Yeah, I saw that was going to be closing earlier. I forgot, man, how fast can we, how quickly we got to Memorial Day this year. It just happens every time faster and faster. What's really interesting about last week was the fact that the Feds even just talk about it, the way the markets react. Did they even really need to raise rates? They could effectively do the same thing, at least temporarily, until you see um, where things settle in with the data. But I'm really, I'm really doubtful that they can, they can afford to raise rates. Um, you look at the economic data while there's some mix there. Um, so it's just going to be really interesting. I was up in the mountains at a Follow the Money FTM Daily um, seminar on stock trading, and that's more entrepreneurial. It's more than just stocks, but they cover a lot on that. But we did, went into a lot of analysis of the markets. It was really interesting. So I was interested in your comments today because uh, we, we spent the whole weekend going through all this stuff that's going on in the market. So I'm inclined to be, be of the opinion. I'm not sure we're going to see a rate hike. If it does, it's it, that boy. Uh-huh. It, 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 we could see a quick reversal out of there. Uh, then, yeah. So, well, it, and Dave, I think it, it makes a lot of sense to wait until the until the uh, Brexit vote occurs. Uh, there's, you know, there's yeah, some reports today where you know the Fed shouldn't care if it's July or or uh, June. Uh, I know with June you have a um, conference following the meeting and July you do not but uh, you know they can accomplish the same thing uh, doing it in June or July so um, yeah, I'd be a little bit surprised if they do do it in June I will be too and I'd be even more surprised if they do it at all I think is one of the things I'll probably be yeah. surprised home sales the existing home sales numbers that was encouraging I'm looking over I was looking over at the uh, uh, one of my favorite websites is calculated risk blog and uh, looking at the, a graph there that shows where we stack up historically over a number of years historically and you know it's it's looking fairly decent inventory remains the biggest issues is what they're saying and but I think our guest today is going to talk more may there may be more of an inventory of buyers that may be the bigger challenge here which is something that Logan Motoshami has been saying on our podcast here a number of times. So very interesting to get into that. Joe, you do a great job with this website. For you customers and your listeners that are not plugged into MBS Quoteline, one of the most affordable, accurate, up-to-date, real-time you can get, I'm just blessed and honored to have Joe as a friend and on the radio. You should be signed up with this program. If you're not, pay attention. Listen to this news or this quick ad, and we'll be back right after this break with Paul Malo. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. So good to have you with us and joining us from the website imfnews.com is Paul Mallow. Paul, good to have you here. Thank you, David. Good to be here. What's going on? Always, yeah, good, to, good to be seen and good to be heard in their case uh, than, uh, than otherwise. Um, we're looking at your website right now. Folks, if you're not signed up to receive the IMF News website, doesn't land in your box, you need to go to the website and sign up for it, imfnews.com. Paul, I'm looking at uh, your the article that you put up there, posted the CFPB experts, uh, chances uh, of being examined rest in complaint portal, comma, data. Boy, that's got, that got my attention. So um, we've got a lot of clients that would like to avoid an audit, so talk about this. Uh, well, let's start with first with the first story, jumbos. Uh, 
Uh, Jumbo production in the first quarter was down slightly from 4Q. Interesting, was up 7% um, from a year ago, and it's up a lot more, or didn't do as anywhere as poorly as the overall market did. And as part of that, Chase overtook Wells as being the top Jumbo lender in the nation. Uh, that's interesting because I mean Wells has dominated that space for a long time. But listen, let's let's face it. J.P. Morgan and Jamie Dimon, they don't want anything to do with the FHA or or uh, you know anyone who's got low credit scores or any of that. It's you know they have clearly thrown their gauntlet down and just want to go after middle class and higher. I don't know how that helps them with their CRA credits, but uh, you know I think they've made it pretty yeah. clear. And they also toss, as we reported, oh a month or so ago, they also got out of the USDA lending program. They weren't big; uh, they, it wasn't a huge part of their business, but they were one of the larger players in that US, the USDA mortgage yeah. program. So listen, I mean, Jamie Dimon is just basically saying, you know, I, I've had it with the government, and uh, Jumbo's is where they want to build their franchise, at least for now, until something changes. Uh, listen, CFPB, uh, number two story. We had a webinar late last week with some very good attorneys on it. Uh, and, you know, we talked uh, about a lot of stuff. It's, it's, you could go click our website and, and see a little bit about the webinar. Um, Michelle Rogers was there from Buckley Sandler, uh, Steve Kaplan of uh, Mayor Brown, and Tobias Moon of the Ackerman Law Firm. And, you know, they talked about the, the before, during, and after in a CFPB exam and some of the things that you need to look for. And, you know, basically, you know, it seemed the message was clear. I mean, if if you're showing up on their complaint uh, portal a lot, they're going to – like, it looks like they're going to go after you. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Uh, at least that's what it sounded like. So uh, we'll be doing more stories based on that webinar in, in the weekly IMF News, uh, Inside Mortgage Finance, as well as the Daily, which is called IMF News. But, um, you know, interesting stuff. Uh, Ginny May, Michael Drain, he spoke at the NBA – Secondary last week, yeah. along with Ted Tozer, and uh, John Bancroft was there, and some of his reporting on what was said. Uh, Mike Drain, though, you know, seemed to worry a bit about the rise of non-banks and, and things along those lines. Uh, one of the interesting things that that came out of that, it looks like the result would not of non-banks being being such uh, so involved now in the Ginny May business that the average credit score in a Ginny loan is now 60 basis points lower than loans securitized mm. by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That's something I, uh, Drain pointed out. I mean, that's the good news for borrowers, I guess. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, Ginny looks at the non-banks and they're still a bit worried about them. And, but listen, it's no secret with the government suing, uh, you know, banks, uh, regionals, as well as the, the mega banks, that a lot of banks are just, you know, whittling down their exposure in that business. And the non-banks are, you know, they're moving in and they've taken over a they're lot of space. In, yeah. yeah, and, uh, you know, they don't seem to be... I mean, they're worried about getting sued uh, for FHA violations, uh, but it's not, it's not something they're worrying about right now because they're, they're doing lots of business. I think they're being really careful, uh, or at least trying to be, and spending money on compliance and, you know, and hoping they don't do anything that, you know, winds up, uh, you know, on the wrong side of a DOJ action. So we'll continue, uh, continue to track that. John was also there, and he talked about the uh, uh, common securitization platform, and progress there. One of the little facts that came out to date, it looks like Fannie and Freddie have spent something like $270 million on the common securitization platform. That's a pretty pretty large number, but listen, they're dealing with a lot of software and technology, and it's, it's a big task, and you definitely have to get that right. Uh, more servicing deals from IMA, uh, which is now in, in Center Mortgage Advisors. That's Tom Piercy's shop. Used to be known as yep. Uh, interactive mortgage advisors that get bought by a Blackstone unit, as well as M M I A C in New York or Mortgage Industry uh, Industry Advisory Corp. They got some deals out there on MSRs. Short takes. We talked more. There's more complaining about trade errors again. Uh, when the rulemaking was announced a couple of weeks ago, it seemed all the complaining, you know, sort of came to a grinding halt for a little while. But now we're back to the point where uh, lenders are complaining uh, about TRID once again. Loan delays uh, in particular are at the top of the list. Uh, we, we've been talking to lenders about Clinton and Trump. I don't know uh, if I want to get too heavily into that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so, you know the, the knee-jerk reaction some people I've talked to, they want Trump because they think he's going to do away with the CFPB. You know, take that at, at face value. Uh, and big, uh, a big, another big heart push uh, by the Federal Housing Finance Agency. There's a webinar tomorrow. And it's mostly uh, uh, GSE and uh, FHFA people, except for someone from Quicken Loans is on the panel. 
Uh, and they're, uh, they've marketed that program before uh, on the radio and even on uh, cable TV. So there looks like Quicken's looking to pick up some more, uh, uh, hopefully, some uh, harp activity. So that's uh, the long and short of it for now. Good amount of information on your website. Love the reporting you do. Uh, missed seeing you at the conference, but I know John was running around there. So, yeah, uh, always. You guys do a great job of covering the news and getting to staying on top of the stories and getting into the stories. It's, you do a great job, and I appreciate everyone. Uh, you're, you're, you guys did hard work over there. So, if you have not signed up, listeners, with imfnews.com, do so. Head over to the website. You, you'll benefit from these headlines tremendously. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Paul. Great to have Thanks you. Thanks, Tommy. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You bet? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alice, good to have you here with us. And, again, thanks for hosting the program last week. What are the things that you're referring Well, uh, for starters, I'm not sure if I'm the only one here, but it seems like it's digitizing. So um, I'll try and speak clearly here. I'm not sure if it's coming from all our lines or just one. But um, so uh, to me, I think one of the big things to pay attention to is always proposed rules, right? So congressional bills that come out um, definitely are important, but it's hard to envision that anything's going to make its way all the way up to the president, you know, before uh, the end of the year. So um, I'll, I'll point out a couple of legislative things in a minute, but the proposed rules are the things that everybody's got to get involved in because especially when they come from FHA. So on the 18th, FHA did put out a proposed rule uh, regarding the HECM program, and comments are due by July 18th. Now, I know not a lot of companies out there originate the reverse mortgages, but for those who do, this is a really critical program. So a lot of companies kind of dabble in it and, and want to try and see if this will be a future. Well, with this proposed this rulemaking process that they're putting out, FHA is looking to substantially reduce this product, and I mean cut it way back. So a couple of the things that they advertise are make you feel like, okay, well, they're talking about having borrowers take counseling before the mortgage contract. They um, reference in their publications, you know, to cap the lifetime interest rate increases, you know, to 5%, and that sounds great. I'll reduce the cap on the annual interest rate from 2% to 1%. That all sounds great, too. But the part that I'm reading in the fine print is actually that they're looking to increase when the loan, or de, let me rephrase, decrease when they've got to pay a claim, which means decreasing the amount a lender can get in the event that there's a claim, which means lenders' risk go up, which means they're not going to want to originate the product. So companies really need to take, a, who originate HACOMs have to take a really close look at this. Um, they want to limit the lender's payout to only two years of taxes and insurance. Um, they want to start, that there'll be a payable event, what we call a you know a triggering event, if the borrower becomes behind on their utilities. So these types of things start to really make it more, um, a, a little less desirable for a borrower if a borrower really knows what's going on in the week. A lot of customers get in these programs today and do have problems with their taxes and utilities. So make sure you read the fine print on this one. There's a lot to it. Um, some of it is in place already, and the rule is just going to codify that. But other little tweaks that they've tried to put in there um, could substantially reduce the opportunity for this product. And so, therefore, the opportunity for consumers and lenders who are making some money on it. Uh, so the comments, again, are due by July 18th. A couple of bills that are important. Um, so today, for those of you who are part of the MBA Mortgage Action Alliance, you may have gotten your email that says there's a House floor vote today for H.R. 2121, which we have been tracking for you. This is the one that is the transitional licensing. So uh, companies, uh, individual loan officers who are moving from a bank to a lender, um, and now all of a sudden you've got to get that different. You've got to go pass the test. You've got to go through the full licensing approval. How do you support your family in the meantime? So some good components in this, and they are looking to see if, because it's non-controversial legislation, if they can get a two-thirds majority today. So we'll be watching for you for that. Again, not sure how much rule, you know, how much activity will get through the Senate and the President. This is just stage one, you know, getting it signed, uh, getting it approved through the House. But hey, we'll take progress of any kind, right? <laughs> so, no kidding. Um, there, yeah. So there was a congressional bill that was introduced, the Consumer Credit Reform Act. Uh, trying to kind of change the way credit reporting is going to work by decreasing that adverse uh, information can only be out there for four years, um, start removing paid and settled debts within 45 days. 
The thing I don't like about it is it starts to, to give CFPB some explicit authority, and they don't need any more. I mean, so it's kind of a two-edged That's sword. Do we, do, we, yeah, do we need more regulation over the credit, you know, TransUnion, Experian, Equifax, and the credit bureaus themselves? And do we need to put the CFPB in charge of that, too? So it's kind of a two-sided thing. It's like, well, you know, yeah, I'd like a lot of people to have a better credit score because that opens up the door for more business, but... You know, so read that one carefully. We'll be watching that closely as well to see uh, if that one's going to get anywhere. So um, CFPB, I think uh, we issued their spring rulemaking agenda. No big news on there other than what, you know, Paul already brought up, that, that we're going to be uh, watching closely uh, what they do come out with for trying to make any clarifications of TRID. Um, so, Dave, that's my quick update for today. Good amount of information. Thank you so much, Alice. Appreciate you doing that. And looking forward to having you participate in the Hot Topics segment. There's some really interesting information that's a, yeah. a new technology that's out. And I know you use some things in the area. That's a, 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 a value, property valuation analysis. So, And then what's going on with Fannie and Freddie. Uh, really interested in having your participation in this dialogue. So it'll be really, really well, good. I'm for those of you folks. To, uh, I know it. I'm looking forward to it. Because you get to look at people's houses, right? Wow, you get to look at appraisals. This is the fun part. So, yeah, everybody stay tuned. There's some great stuff coming up. Yeah, it's great. And then wait till you see what this is. This is this has got a heat map in it that is just so exciting. I can't. I was playing around with it this morning and got totally distracted. So, but you've got some cool stuff. I'm looking forward to having you part of the talk and this discussion. So, let's uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back with a brief word after we hear more about how you can get signed up to work with Alice. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. And they will give you an edge. Get a hold of Alice. Also, she makes a great conference speaker. I've, we have the privilege of speaking together many, many times, and she is just outstanding. So appreciate you, Alice. Uh, Sam Garcia, someone else I appreciate so much. He's normally in Dallas. He's calling in from California. So how's things out there on the left coast, my friend? It's uh, absolutely beautiful out here. It is good. I was making Couldn't sure be your nice. mic was turned on. I go, oh, it's nice. You know, I mean, it's nice in California. It's about a, you, you wonder why all the people end up to that part of the country. But give us an update again. I want to tell everybody that for that are not signed up to receive the uh, mortgage news, go to Mortgage Daily. Check out the website. Come great information there. And Sam does a great job of covering some headlines. So MortgageDaily.com. Good to have you with us, Sam. Give us a rundown of some of the things and stories you're tracking. Yes, yes. And, uh, you do a great job on the show, and, and like you said, Alice did an incredible job last week. It was, uh, was, was like it was seamless, her uh, taking over all you had to be gone. But, uh, <laughs> That's so much fun, yeah. Appreciate her. All right, well, uh, and you know, one of the first indications of mortgage business since the Fed issued its statement last month was our mortgage market index, which dipped uh, 1% last week. And the index, which is a reflection of average per user rate locks by clients of open close, indicated that a jumbo activity tumbled by more than a quarter, though ARM activity was up uh, 13%. So that was interesting. Um, Ellie May reported last week that the closing rate on uh, all loans was uh, 68.9% in April, and that was actually down uh, from 70.6% in March. And that closing rate, as they put it, is the uh, you know share of loans that have, were started in the last uh, in the 90-day cycle uh, that have closed, you know, as of that month. Um, average turnaround uh, in April was 44 days. Um, Freddie Mac put out its economic uh, housing market forecast last week for uh, uh, the month of May, and Freddie raised its estimate of first quarter refinance uh, volume. Uh, based on the report, uh, first quarter refinance originations turned out to be $187 billion nationwide. Uh, and that was more than the 161 billion that it estimated in the April outlook. So that you know pushed up overall first quarter activity. You know that was estimated by uh, Freddie. Uh, in addition, the 
the estimate of government share for the first quarter was increased to 24.2% from just 20.9%. So FHA, VA took up a bigger share of business in the first quarter than uh, Freddie originally thought. Um, you, you mentioned that home sales report from last week, existing home sales from yeah. the NAR. And, uh, you know, Lauren Chu and their chief economist noted that the national numbers were driven by the Midwest. And we look at those numbers and it indicates that the seasonally adjusted annual rate of sales was up 12% uh, from March to April in the Midwest, much more than, of course, the national uh, level. And in addition, the year-over-year appreciation was the highest there at 6.8%. So the Midwest uh, looking strong. And, you know, he mentioned in that report, you know, of course, that prices are a little lower in the Midwest, so it makes it a little more affordable. Uh, we put out a wire news story today uh, about goodmortgage.com, and they're planning on hiring around 200 people over the next year or so. Um, and those plans you know, come not long after First uh, Guarantee Mortgage Corp. Uh, announced that it acquired uh, Charlotte-based goodmortgage.com. A um, couple of things came out of – a couple of decisions came out of the Second Circuit uh, U.S. Court of Appeals uh, – and uh, today they basically issued an, a, a decision in the Bank of America hustle case. Um, it, there was a $1.2 billion penalty that was imposed by a federal judge back in 2014 against Bank of America. Uh, and that penalty was reversed. And that case relates really? to these hustle loans that were made by Countrywide back in the day. So uh, that's a, a, a bit of good news for Bank of America. Um, and, and also out of the Second Circuit was uh, a decision last week that the FDIC can pursue losses on behalf of Colonial Bank, which failed in 2009. And, you know, Colonial, if you remember, was the warehouse lender for Taylor, Bean, and Whitaker, so it was just devastated by that. But in 2012, the FDIC sued uh, firms that were tied to the sale of $300 million in RMBS to Colonial, and that case was dismissed by the district court uh, due to the statute of limitations. But the Second Circuit Court decision, and we're still working on that story, said that the FDI extender statute enabled the FDIC to file those suits within three years of the failure, not three years of the issuance of the RMBS. So uh, that's a big decision. Um, finally, uh, one other piece of litigation news was that the Department of Justice last week announced that it sued Guild Mortgage. Now, this is like an ongoing campaign by the government uh, to basically go after companies that make mistakes on uh, FHA loans. And Guild is accused of improperly originating underwriting FHA loans, and that lawsuit uh, was actually the result of an action brought under the whistleblower provisions of the False Claims Act by a former Guild employee. So, um, and they put out a statement, which I don't, uh, I, I didn't get the notes here to talk about, but uh, you know they're actually fighting that lawsuit. You know, whereas we're seeing most companies settle. Of course, Quicken is uh, among the other uh, the other company that's fighting the the government over similar allegations. So. We'll see where that goes. <clears throat> we'll see where that goes. I hate to see here the story of the whistleblowers from the just you know, you always think it's wonderful if it's disgruntled employees what's going on. Uh, you do a great job of covering a lot of information. People that have not checked out your website, do so. Check out mortgagedaily.com or get a hold of Sam Garcia. You can reach Sam at two one four five two one thirteen hundred or just go to the website, mortgagedaily.com. Sam, do a great job. Thank you so much, my friend. There was, um, there's a lot of information here, and there, I, I wish we had time to continue to just dive in some of these stories because there's a, it, there's, there's a lot here. The one that is of most interest, which is relates to our Hot Topic segment, which is going to be coming up here in just a few moments, is the one happening about home prices and appreciation and where and how. And just when you hear – I hope you could stay in the program. When you start listening to hear just how specific – the area, how narrow areas are that where you can see price variation. It's it's really interesting. So stay tuned if you can all the way through. Good to have you with us, Sam. Safe travels, and we'll look forward to having you back. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You betcha. Let's head over to Jim Jump. We always love hearing what's going on there. They have their innovative rate star program. They're going to get the KPI of the week, and then we're going to get into talking with our special guest. We'll be right back with after we hear from Jim Jump. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. 
RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimai's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course, close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive RHMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Yeah, it's good to be good to have you on, Jim. And also, folks, check it out. Get a hold of your local RHMI rep. Um, and get a demonstration of the product. I just had at one of the conferences just had someone bring up and show how much money you can save your clients by using this powerful app. Great effective tool. Then it comes into measuring performance. What is the key performance indicators that you're measuring by? Last week we heard from John Maynail, and I had several people write me and say, Dave, I have several of my people that need to hear that. Can you run that same one again? So here's John Maynail with the latest KP, Motivity KPI of the week. Thanks very much, Dave. Always great to be here. And this week's key performance indicator focuses on one of Alice's favorite topics, namely the underwriting process. And the KPI is submitted to initial decision. This is generally measured in hours, and you can either use this to measure an entire department's average turn time or even individual underwriters. Very effective if you're using balanced multi-metric scorecards to fine-tune the behaviors of individual staff members. This measurement can also guide an organization to areas upstream from underwriting that contribute to this initial cycle time, like processing, setup, or even sales, to help ensure that people in those areas produce complete and accurate files that make the absolute best use of the underwriter's time. So the broad scope makes this a very powerful metric and shows yet again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you again and turn it back to you. Yes, folks, check it out. What what gets measured gets results. Check them out at MotivitySolutions.com or call them at 303-721-9000. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it so much. I saw John at the conference. So much fun to listen to these guys talk about it. And those that are using this product, folks, it is really making a difference in their business. So if you're not measuring it, you're not getting the results, you could. So get Motivity Solutions. Check it out. I want to get over to our Hot Topics segment. You know, one guy wrote me and said, Dave, you just lose credibility because you're so excited about every segment you ever have coming up. The latest podcast is the best one there's ever been, and yet there's true. And I do get excited about our guests, and I'm very honored to have with us today Alan Weiss. Well, Alan is uh, very well known in the industry. He has made his life's work doing analytics of property values and uh, I'm just really excited about today's podcast. Please join me in welcoming Alan Wise. Alan, good to have you here, my friend. Good to be here, David. Thank you. I should give a shout-out to Tony Moss, our mutual friend, that uh, has you speaking at her upcoming uh, Maricatalyst event. And listeners, you've heard me talk about this event. It's one of the best, most thought-provoking, uh, one of the most informative events you could ever go to any conferences that are out there uh tony is a good friend and a real admirer of you alan we were t- we were texting late last night after you and i talked with tony and she just uh we both have such admiration for what you've done especially in the work of analytics and home values we watched what happened in the housing crisis and we we so much need to have better analytics and predictive tools. So, but first of all, before we go there, let's let our audience get to know you. For those of you that don't know, uh, Alan is currently the founder and CEO of Weiss Residential Research, creator of the Residential Real Estate Indices and Forecast. He was formerly the CEO and uh, co-founder of the Case Schiller Weiss uh, Report and. Has obviously anyone who's in, attracts real estate understands the Case Shiller report, the index report, uh, the home price index report. It's used widely, oftentimes by the Wall Street Journal. He's created many other. Uh, 
areas, uh, one of which is macro securities. Uh, this guy, Alan, you just do some amazing work in the area of uh, helping keep people out of trouble. So I'm excited to have you on the pro- on the program. But let's give our audience a little bit more of a background. You uh, I, I, you went to Yale, and that's where you met uh, uh, Professor Sh- uh, Schiller. Am I correct? And then you really formed a relationship and really started doing some innovative things together. Talk a little bit about your education and your early days with uh, Professor Scheller. Sure, be happy to. Well, like every MBA student, one of the things we learned about was the need to hold a diversified por- portfolio in your investments. And at the time, I was also a homeowner, and I was very leveraged. And so I began to ask professors, how can I apply this great advice uh, and how can any homeowner apply this great advice if they have more than their net worth tied up in one house? And the answer was, I'm sorry, you can't. So that kind of uh, set my direction to fix what, what I saw as an aspect of uh, how we conduct ourselves in home ownership in this country. You can't keep uh, both pieces of advice consistent. It's good to own a home, and it's good to have a diversified portfolio. It it is, and then you've created. What was the path to create the 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 Case Shiller report? What was the path of that? So you were challenged by the statement you can't, and so obviously uh-huh. you set yourself out to doing that. So let's talk briefly about how that came about. I think a lot of people who rely on the Case Shiller report, it is the gold standard for predicting property values and are looking at analyzing property values, uh, house price indices. So tell us a little bit about the journey into that, and then I want to get into some of the exciting new things you're working on now. Sure, be happy to. So while I was still at Yale, I I was interested in studying the housing market, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be introduced to Bob Schiller there, who was in the economics department, and he and Carl Case had just published their uh, important paper on repeat sales indexes, which became the kind of gold standard among academics. And as we talked further, it became clear to me that this kind of information would be very valuable to the participants in the market. After I graduated, I pondered more this problem of how do you diversify, how do you get better information to the market. So about two years after I graduated, I called Bob, and I said, hey, let's start a company to create a product I'm calling home equity insurance. And he said, okay, let's do that, and let's also work on something I'm thinking about, which is to create a futures market in single-family home prices. So K. Schiller Weiss was formed actually to create these financial products and along the way, we had needed indexes, so we commercialized the Case Shiller Index. And what a success story that has been. And then you uh, spent some time raising a family. You got involved in raising kids. I love the fact that you've got the values that focus on your family. And then since then, you had a conversation with a neighbor that really was a catalyst for a new idea. Talk about that conversation, if you could, briefly and so that we can connect the listeners to what you're doing now. Sure, I'd be happy to. So this was 2005. I had sold, along with Case and Schiller, our company in 2002. As you say, I was home raising my family. It was just fortunate timing that we sold when our kids were young. And I was talking to a neighbor of mine in 2005, and he was saying to me he was looking forward to retirement. He planned to cash out of his house, as he put it, in a couple of years, move to a smaller house, and the equity he had in his house was an important part of his retirement savings. And I remember at the time thinking to myself that he was talking about his house cashing out as though it was some sort of, sort of bank account. And I was kind of concerned that the market looked a little weak and he didn't seem to be thinking about that. And what happened was he ended up getting trapped in his house for almost a decade because by the time he went around to sell, the market was already declining. And that watching that happen made me realize that the, the work that Case Schiller and Weiss started was not nearly done, that we needed more information, the indexes didn't warn people, and there were no products that people could use to get to stay in their home and still diversify and protect themselves. And that really opened up, say, how can we start looking forward? How can you, with other, you know, again, when I was talking to uh, one of your staff, it's very, she's as excited about this, what you're doing as anybody I've talked to. And we shared the enthusiasm. It was so much fun. But you were then began to start looking at how can we truly forecast and do a better job, and not just in a, in a macro sense, but really getting down to specifically to narrow how houses vary in price within a single street. And that's what really 
captured my attention for many reasons. I look at, you know, creating values and assessing values on properties is one thing. The more effective tools uh-huh. we can to do, can have that. All that's interesting. But you really zeroed in. You're zeroing in. Your new technology, by the way, uh, the name of your new company, you, you have Weiss, uh, Weiss Analytics. And uh, uh-huh. it, you can check it out, folks, at www.weissanalytics.com. You need to go to this website. You need to sign up and check out the pricing. This is so affordable. <laughs> when you look at the pricing of what's out there, this is so affordable for the, the amount of knowledge that's there. In the website, you'll see that there's over 50 million indices on over 50 million homes and houses. This is an amazing database. So talk a little bit about what you can do with this, and then I want to get into RevX at some point. So here quickly. Sure, be happy to. So again, in my town, Medfield, Massachusetts, around the time we were talking about mid-2000s, I, I began to think about what, what did we miss with the K-Shiller Index that it was, it was going up, it was going up more slowly, but people didn't foresee using it that a, a tremendous meltdown was uh, in the offing. And I began to realize that even at that point, uh, a friend of mine who happens to be a well-known baseball player, Kurt Schilling, was trying to sell his house, and he kept having to lower the price whereas the smaller houses were rising in value. And at K. Schiller Weiss, we were proud to have zip code level indexes. But I realized if we had a zip code level index for Medfield, it would have been flat. It would not pick up that Kurt's house was declining and other people's homes were rising. So I realized what needed to be done, I felt what needed to be done, was to take the same essential technology of CSW but use modern computing power, which is 20 20 to 1,000 times faster than it had been when we formed CSW and use that extra computing power to go from zip code down to house. So increase the resolution 10,000-fold and get it. That is amazing. So you're you're able to now start looking at neighborhood specifics and and start tranching it in different ways. So the lower-priced homes might be going in a a different direction than other homes that are more expensive in in the neighborhood. So let's talk a little bit about how investors are using this tool. There's, there's a large amount of capital sitting on the side. People want to invest in homes and looking at this. Is there a chance of this changing the way home ownership, how we own homes, how we think about home ownership, Alan? I, I sure hope so because if you look at what people face when they buy a house, most people say, well, I'm buying the house for the long run. I don't really care if it's price fluctuations. And they're right, and that's the right way to think. The problem is the chance isn't zero that we have a recession. In fact, the chance of another recession is about as likely as death and taxes. So if you have a recession, your price is down, you lose your job, you're in big trouble. And that happens more often than your house burning to the ground, and yet we have insurance for that one. So investors have been using our product currently to model the future, to figure out how to invest in mortgages and single-family rentals and so on. And one of the very large investors has gotten so confident in our analytics that they said, let's build a company. We will fund it to basically buy all or part of the equity in people's homes so that the homeowner can stay, stay there and either rent uh, prior to uh, moving out um, or own part of it and then move out later on. So it would have been a, the perfect solution for my neighbor in 2005. If you've got someone right. who's thinking of leaving in a couple of years and they're looking towards retirement, they have no business having all their eggs in one basket like that. So this investor is interested in buying the whole house from someone thinking of moving in a couple of years and then renting it back to them so they can move when they want and they're out of the market risk and they should be out. So yeah, and they're out of retirement. And, and you know, to the to your point that we're looking at very likely again we're up in the Colorado mountains studying this stuff and looking at all that's going on the likelihood of a uh, some type of reset recession ending to recession which is going to have an impact on housing values uh, I want to talk briefly about that how what you see as a potential of are we at a housing bubble but it really created this opportunity with what you're doing it's created an opportunity where someone can exit at where they want to and lock in their gain 
and then the investors can do their analysis. And it may, you may not get full price, but you can get at least a good exit and lock in that and continue to stay in that home for some period of time to live out your plan. So th- this is a very innovative tool. Now, the benefit for the homeowner is pretty obvious. You can pick a point in where you think the market's at, use your analytics, and again, homeowners, this should be as much of a tool for consumers as it is for uh, institutional investors or those of us in the mortgage industry to begin to analyze the direction of home prices. So I was on, and by the way, I was talking to Robin Newman. She is, it was a delightful conversation, and we every time I talk to someone about this, we all get so excited about it. But she showed me a heat map, and I wish I could create a picture. I'm going to try to do the best I can. But you have you can go into a zip code, and it lists all the homes in that area, and it has green dots and Uh, amber dots and red dots. And so you can literally, through a timeline, look at what is happening and what's trending in a very graphic, not a chart. It's literally looking at the street. And talk about that, Alan. How did you develop It's very innovative. I've never seen anything like this. Well, thank you. Well, it came in stages. First, we figured out a way to produce accurate price indexes for every single house. So after we ran this thing for one of the first times, every house, not just the zip code. Not just the difference, it's for literally every single house. Right, and that's important because you can have two houses right next to each other, and one could be 100 years old and 5,000 square feet, and the other could be one year old and 3,000 square feet. They might be roughly the same value, but they could be moving in opposite directions. Neighborhood isn't the only thing that determines value. It's also what's popular, what's in demand. Uh, The supply and demand is, is... can apply to next-door neighbor houses. So what we did was we figured out a way to use all those characteristics on each house to work out an index for each house down the street. And then once we ran this, I sat back and I thought, how in the world am I going to uh, take in what this is saying and make any sense out of it? So the idea occurred to me, what if we take a map, represent every house as a dot on the map and color code the houses. So if in a given month a house is rising fast, it has a dark green dot, and if it's falling fast, it has a dark red dot, and then the, the uh, less intense colors are towards the middle. And so then if you create these slides one month at a time, you can animate it, and you can watch the boom uh, in this video of a zip code or a metro area uh, as all the houses turn darker and darker green. And, and during the early 2000s, in most places, the entire map is dark green. And then because we're down to the house, you can see the first little inklings of a decline happening. The most vulnerable houses start turning lighter red than gray, and then lighter green than gray, and then finally red. And so you can look at any place in the country and see ground zero for the last downturn and possibly what's coming now. That ability to be able to look at it graphically, and, and down at the bottom it was literally advancing almost at a second-per-second second pace, the movement from year to year, and it was amazing to look at that. But not only did you just look at what historically has happened, you predict where that value is going, and I'm going to get Allison on this conversation in just a minute because she has some questions about this. But you actually then predict where that property value is going to go and if it is tipping over. Uh, listeners, you know I live in Austin, Texas, and I was asking Alan about Austin, Texas. He says, yes, the property values in Austin, Texas peaked about six months ago. And I said, you're kidding me. How, how did you figure that out? Because I, I don't sense it yet. But if you have these kind of tools and you're looking at buying a home in, in, in this area, you can get loan, I mean, house-level detail. And if you're making an offer and you have three homes you want to make an offer on, you can, make, you can look at which home has the greatest chance of, prob- of being a good investment for the long term. Now, you may like it for other reasons or choose to buy another house, but this home, if it's on a investment basis, which most of us have that in our analysis, excuse me, in our analysis, you can literally look at what each home is going to do in relation and look forward in time. That is so innovative, Alan. Thank you. Yeah, so basically once we started looking at these maps for a while, we began to realize there are patterns, very similar to weather patterns. Uh, And as I mentioned to you, one of the most obvious ones to look at is if you look at the metro area of Miami leading up to the crash, you can see it's all green, and at the very top of the map it starts to turn light green and then red, And you can literally watch over the course of about 18 months the red spread like a a weather front down 
from north to south and eventually engulf the entire Miami metro area. And anyone who had that map could see that coming. Uh, so that's the foundation for how we do these forecasts. We can see trends coming. I love looking at data, but there's, when it's properly graphically represented, it makes it so much easier to understand the macro trends of what's going. And so what's also neat about your maps is uh, Robin was showing me how you can, lo- you can zero into a specific street or you can back up and look at what's going on as a consolid- as all the dots are blending together. You can look at what's going on in an entire city. So it's very, very fascinating. Alice, you look at a lot of um, – well, you know what's going on in appraisal management and valuations. Come on in with some questions here. I'm, I'm, I want to get your thoughts on this. Sure. Hi, Alan. It's very fascinating. It's nice to meet you. Um, the, so I'm very interested in, you know, as a lender, right, if I put my lender viewpoint on all of this, you know, how do you see this being used with appraisals on home? So you mentioned the homeowner approach. I'd like to get your thoughts on the use for it in, in, from a lending standpoint. Sure. Well, people spend a lot of energy figuring out how much the house is worth today because uh, value is important and it leads to loan-to-value ratio and so on. And a lot, virtually every loan program in existence relies on LTV as a measure of uh, creditworthiness. But the thing is that the credit event that people are worried about isn't now. It's in the future and people don't realize that home prices aren't like a lot of other assets like the stock market. It doesn't suddenly reflect all the information. And what that means is going out about a year or 18 months, it's actually relatively easy to forecast home prices. Until now, we've been able to do it at the metro area level with how specific indexes we can do it at the house level. So what I believe lenders should do is not only ask themselves, what's the LTV now? But what is the likely LTV in a year or two years? Because that's when it's going to matter more than now. So I can see all kinds of challenges on on regions and the demographic within that region and how it's working. Has this been discussed at all with Fannie and Freddie uh, or HUD in terms of, you know, is this something a lender could use? So far, um, we have had very preliminary conversations I don't believe it's in any regulator's playbook, um, but I believe that will happen um, as uh, this approach gets um, becomes more familiar to regulators and to lenders. I, I think it's just a matter of time. Um, it's, a, it's a new capability because without modern processing horsepower, it's simply not doable. But theoretically, it's always been doable, and, and we have it as a reality and I think it's a question of familiarity, validation, and then just thinking it through. Do I really care down to one more percentage point what the LTV is now, or do I care down to two percentage point, points what it's is it plus or minus 10% in, a, in the next year? If you've got two loans that are both, say, 90% LTV, but one house is going to be going up 10% and one's going down 10%, those are vastly different credit risks. Right, right. Okay. So one last question on the collateral. Have you, uh, how would you compare this to the heat maps and information in collateral underwriter and Fannie Mae? So I know collateral underwriter is really just focusing on past information and and isn't looking into the future at all. Do you are you leveraging any of that same information to predict that future? And and how do you compare the products for our listeners? Yeah, our information is created only from closed sale prices. So what we can do is, once we have the trend on a given house, that means we have the trend on all the houses nearby. And we can track with what we call a canary index, a Weiss canary index, the percent of houses rising. And that turns out to be a very powerful forecasting tool. Virtually every metro area that we've looked at, we've looked at over 300 of them, the percent of houses rising began to crash about 18 months before the home prices began to crash. So we use this, this special tool to, to incorporate into the forecast, and it works extremely well. We back-tested it and forward-tested it, and um, it's unique. I mean, it's really just using home prices and techniques that have been around for decades, but down to the house, whereas before economists were limited to metro areas. 
Joe, I was going to invite you into this conversation. We're getting a look at the clock here, but come on in with a couple questions. Do you have anything that just starts peaking your mind as, as you listen to this? Yeah. Uh, how do you pay for it? How do you charge for it? <laughs> well, Good. depends who you are. Um, you can go right to our site, weissanalytics.com, and um, that, that site is in beta right now. But for 200 bucks, uh, you can get a charter a membership. Year. That's right, 200 bucks for the first year. And that gets you five zip codes. So it's intended for a real estate agent or broker. Um, we are in the process of lowering the price for a single report. It's not there yet, but within a couple of weeks, it'll be $3.75. You can get a metro report, a zip code report, or a house report. Our goal is to get this into as many hands as possible because there's so much money at stake. And then once people know it and they're more familiar, our next step is to use it to enable people to hedge, which is the really big uh, goal we have. So that, as we said earlier, uh, we already have investors lined up, and we expect to launch in 90 to 120 days the ability for homeowners to get out of their house completely and rent, or for uh, single-family rental investors to basically sell a fraction of of the property and hedge. And it's these indexes which make it possible. So when you say sell a sell a fraction or sell the property, is it truly a sale? So that the the buyer now owns a home and they're responsible for taxes, and and you become just a pure renter, or is it a hybrid? Well, no. For for the for the consumer, it's simply the invest. These investors we have want to buy the houses lock, stock, and barrel, and okay. provide the the former owner a long term lease. They can live in the house. Uh, with six months' notice, they can leave up to typically three years, and um, they can plan their lives. They have their liquidity. They've deleveraged, and most importantly, like you know, any financial planner will tell you, don't have all your your money in the stock market two years before you're going to retire. It's even worse to have it all in one house, especially when yeah. we're looking at a possible recession recession that's coming up here. It's very interesting. Joe, I sit and start to think about this from a marketing standpoint. You and I both work with a lot of originators out there, a lot of a good number of them, which are con- deal with consumers on a direct basis. They're doing direct mail marketing, and I was talking to again Robin Newman on your staff about the ability that you with with the tools you have, how you can get much more scientific and specific and who you're marketing to based on the the value and the home and the where the direction of the value of that home is, and that's just that's just I think such a powerful tool. Talk briefly we about Revit, so. so, and we just got. Go ahead, finish up. Uh-huh. Go ahead. After that. I was just going to say that um, uh, we feel the same way, and so we're eager to get it out to a wide audience. So one thing I was going to let you know is that in addition to coming to our site, people in a couple of weeks will be able to go to Inman.com and get the same set of tools. Right. So we're interested in you know right. getting it, get, getting the word out there, getting this into hands of people, so people can make better decisions. And starting with real estate brokers who are kind of on the front line with that. RevX, again, is the new business where you can actually – you have a list of investors. Just, again, put, a, uh, put out a soundbite. What, what what's the best way to describe RevX? Tony is so excited. Tony Moss is so excited about what you're doing with RevX. Sure. RevX stands for Real Estate Value Exchange. And it's going to be a company – it is a company, but we haven't done our first deal yet – where institutional investors are going to buy houses outright, or in the case of single-family rentals, um, own a fraction of the house, and they will own the index on the house, whereas another party will own the house itself and be in charge of renting it. So you split a house into the appreciation or depreciation on one side and the rental cash flow on the other so that investors can choose the proportions they want of each and the party owning the cash flow is hedged, the party that owns the index has a completely transparent way to track how much they own. The problem with owning single-family rentals, especially if you're passive, is you don't really know what you have. You don't know what the houses are worth. You don't know what the CapEx is going to be. This provides investors something they can look up every day. We publish the indexes, and they will know exactly where they stand. 
that is an innovative product that could have such big ramifications to the way homes are bought and sold when and, and who's owning them and what parts of it. So you're really split, starting to split up the ownership. It's really getting exciting. We've got to have you back and talk more about this, Alan. Great amount of information here. Wonderful website. I encourage all of our listeners to go out to Weiss Analytics, W-E-I-S-S Analytics.com. Check it out. I know you will be thrilled when you start looking at this. And then just 20, uh, the, one, the website currently says uh, one month you can uh, get one report. If you get the $3, run a report on uh, a product you're working with and see if that's not something that could work for you. So when, that, when will that be available? Is it a couple of weeks, you say, Alan? Um, it's just a matter of adjusting the pricing on the site. So as soon as our webmaster okay. gets it done, a day or so, People will be able to go there and order one report for 375. That's amazing. So you can start go in and start testing in real time and see the full benefits. Alan, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Our guest has been Alan Weiss, who is the founder and CEO of Weiss Residential Research, formerly the CEO of the Case Schiller Weiss Index, and uh, just valuable information, wonderful insights into what's going. Alan, um, I now know why Tony was so excited about having you come on the program. I want to have you back. We want to talk more about RevX because that really opens up a whole new, much longer dialogue and what is potential and the ramifications of that. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And greet Robin. It was a delightful conversation. I did call her back because I want to learn more about this. Folks, we oh, have had Alan. talking about it. Yeah, she is. And she does a great job, Alan. She really does. Yeah. Again, folks, we've had Alan Weiss, founder and CEO of Weiss Residential Research with us. It's good to have you with us, everybody. Be sure to come back next week. We are. Uh, I'm excited about we have the uh, head, former head of the FDIC coming on as our special guest, talking about the overreaction when you look at overreaction of government to what happened. And um, are we about ready to head back into it? Are we doing, going to be doing the same thing, especially when you look at this political election? We're going to get some insights into that, so be sure to come back here next week. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to seeing you back. And then between now and then, have a blessed and wonderful week. See you back here next week. Thank you. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Elvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.